Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, we have Jessica Spenler. Jessica is a very well-respected sports dietitian working with elite athletes and we're going to be talking about nutrition in the sports world today. Welcome Jess, thanks for coming on the podcast. What an introduction, thank you. Thanks for having me. Can you just share a little bit about your background and what actually you do? Because I do, you know, you do work with some top athletes. So what do you do with them exactly? Uh, So a little bit about me, I guess I've been a sports dietitian for six or seven years now and been working um, mainly in professional sport for the last uh, five years. Before that I worked in a hospital and did some clinical stuff for a couple of years. So exclusively sport for the last four to five. Um, I get this question a lot and a lot of people think, so do you just tell athletes what to eat and it's like well that's part of what i do obviously so (laughs) anything related to their nutrition from making recommendations educating them meal plans although to be honest i feel like i write less meal plans now than ever before so it's more about looking at what they're doing and making recommendations and small changes so i guess that's a little bit different to working maybe in private practice where you don't see your clients all that often um in the team sports i mean i'm in and around the athletes uh, most days so uh, the Giants which is the uh, or GWS Giants which is the AFL team would be right. my main role and I'm with them uh, three days a week plus games so there's a lot of opportunities to talk food um, but I guess outside of that it's anything to do with their nutrition their hydration their body composition and um, also supplements so uh, yeah making recommendations to eat well for performance uh, ordering the food, working with chefs, designing the menus, coordinating the food, uh, supplements in the context of what they're eating, measuring their body composition, so skin folds or um, coordinating the DEXA scans. Right, um, so that's a little bit. Yeah, just there's a couple of things. So yeah, that's a little bit of an overview. Wow, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to sports nutrition, how different is that from say being a regular dietitian is that a specialized training area that you have to do yeah it's essentially uh, an addition to the tertiary education so you go to university and you do your dietetics which qualifies you to be a dietitian so that'll either take four or five years if depending on whether you do a straight undergrad or a postgrad and then becoming a sports dietitian is in addition to that so there's a a wonderful organization called sports dietitian yep. australia Uh, and they run a four-day course which you essentially go and do and then after that you're a sports dietitian but initially provisional and then you do so many um, professional development you log your experience and and then from there you become either accredited advanced or a fellow so I mean I think it's important to note that because sports nutrition or dietetics should I say is really quite a complex 
area, isn't it? You know, there, there's a lot of different um, factors that you have to take into consideration. And I think to the general person, it can be easily confused, which probably would be very frustrating for you with what a personal trainer would be would be telling a client. So how, how can we sort of explain to people the benefits of going to see a sports dietitian over taking advice from a, a personal trainer? I guess yeah, a, a sports dietitian who's somebody who uh, is a scientist at, at heart. So yeah. a, a dietitian, uh, they do a lot of science in their undergrad and their, and their postgrad and they're taught to forensically be able to go through the evidence like and <laughs> get your little detective hats on and go through the evidence and, and weigh up what is actually effective and um, efficient and um, also the efficacy so meaning that it's it's safe to to use so someone who is a dietitian you you uh, you know that they have done years of study and they're trained to be able to determine what's what's right and wrong as opposed to say um, you know some personal trainers have, have gone to university and they might have done exercise science so but they haven't gone through all of that related to their nutrition and, and food so um, I guess it's kind of like, you know, a PT or a nutritionist might be able to say this food is good for X, Y, and Z, whereas a dietitian who's somebody who can kind of clinically recommend a way of eating for an outcome. So and more personalized. More personalized, definitely. Absolutely, because I think it can be really confusing for people out there to know who to take advice from. So, thank you for for clearing that up. And then in saying that. You know, for the average person, if, if they're going to the gym and they're working out, whether it be weights or whether they're going on the treadmill for an hour or doing an exercise class, would that warrant coming to see a sports dietitian? Definitely. I mean, the sports dietitians don't just work with uh, athletes or high-end athletes. We work with all different people. So it's really anybody who's wanting to eat better or feel better. Um, I think the thing or the thing that I like about sports dietitians is you know that they've done the basic training, you know, the four or five years, and then they've gone on to do additional, additional. training. So they're all clinical dietitians, they're all accredited practicing, and then they've gone on to do additional um, studies. So yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely not only for an athlete, it's someone who's active or interested in just eating better or feeling better. So, um, but yeah, if you're a weekend warrior, you go to the gym and you wanna, change your body comp a little bit or just eat a bit better, you could definitely, um, yeah, go and see a sports dietitian. And if somebody, and this is something I hear a lot, especially with men, is about trying to build muscle. You know, what can I do to build muscle? And quite often you'll see people running out to the health food store and buying big tubs of um, muscle bulk and <laughs> protein powder. And there seems to be this common um, perception out there that if I eat protein, I'm going to automatically become muscular. And I, I do think that that's something that a lot of people think happens. So what would be your advice for, for the average person that just wants to get a little bit more toned and does need to actually build some muscle, that, that is very lean and needs to build muscle, what would you say would be something that would be beneficial for them to do? Uh, protein is an important nutrient for building muscle, so I guess people are right there, but yeah, the misconception that we need to go out and buy all these different powders and potions and whatnot is definitely not correct. So 
one thing we know is that most people actually eat enough total protein across the mm. day but where i guess a lot of people can improve is how they eat it and the distribution so you know classically a lot of people will eat a fair amount at lunch and dinner and then not much at breakfast and snacks and the thing we know is that getting that distribution across the day so these are in and around the amounts of 20 to 30 grams of total protein per serve per serve four five six times a day is much more beneficial than having none or minimal at breakfast maybe you know cereal with a bit of milk on it which is minimal and then afternoon snack might be a muesli bar and a piece of fruit mm. well let's look at what we can do there maybe take some from lunch and dinner not physically we don't have to physically <laughs> put half a chicken breast in in the afternoon but yeah that distribution across the day 20 to 30 grams four five six times a day is is where most people can improve on and coming from whole foods as well we don't have to just get that from powders yeah we're humans we eat food like not just nutrients so um, looking at ways in which we can get that throughout the diet Right. Yeah. And the other thing I find interesting is um, sometimes people think that, you know, if there's 100 grams of chicken, that's going to be 100 grams of, of protein as well. So I think understanding how much protein is in the food that they're actually eating rather than the amount that the food weighs and then thinking that's the amount of, of protein, I think that's quite a, a common misconception as well. Definitely. And, and it's, it's great that most people are more interested in nutrition now but getting that language correct and like you said it's you know the what like a piece of chicken is 100 grams and in that 100 grams there's about 30 grams of protein so having a little bit of knowledge but if that's something that you can't graph like again if you go and see somebody they can definitely help you yeah with that yeah yeah great that's great to know now what about for someone that my husband for instance he goes out running but is not he will hate me for saying this, but it's is not <laughs> cognizant of, of what he is eating to to support the running. So for him, it's about running to be fit and in a way running to maintain his weight. And so, you know, I'm always sort of saying, you know, you, you've got to eat something afterwards. And it's like, oh, no, I'll be fine. And then, of course, he gets this big sugar crash yep. and oh, gets a bit irritable and then suddenly has to go and eat and then I'll go and eat the wrong thing. What what suggestions would you make, you know, just some basic guidelines, for instance, for someone that is going to go out for a run, what, what should they be eating? So I think that you've raised a really, you know, some really good points there. And there's eating for performance and then there's eating for weight loss. And they're often two very different things. Mm. So if you're somebody who's, their weight's pretty good, like maybe you want to make a few little body comp changes, but like the pure goal is I'm getting fitter, I'm training for something well then you should definitely be eating before and after. So exercise is, uh, we're, going, we're going to train better, we're gonna exercise harder or faster or lift heavier or whatever it is, the more we're fueled. So putting something in our bodies one to two hours before we train is generally a good guideline. And look, that's a really individualized thing. Some people can t tolerate food. Yes you know drink something or eat something and go on other people and what would you suggest would be the best thing to eat prior to a workout so anything carbohydrate yeah. focused will be good if particularly if you're working at a higher intensity so glucose is the main fuel source yep. um, and we get glucose from carbohydrate sources so something that's sustained like a, a banana maybe a banana smoothie or maybe like a nice piece of sourdough with 
um, you know, a nut butter or um, yeah, something small, at least putting something in your body just to kind of give your body that little hit before you go out and, and train, go for a run would be really beneficial. And then having something within about an hour after you finish. So it's kind of a magic window, it is, isn't it? Yeah. And like your body, A, you'll perform better. B, your body soaks up the nutrients. Um, so once we've trained, these muscles are kind of like primed, ready to absorb the nutrients. And, and also, classic example, so many people, they donate straight after. They think, I'm not that hungry. They delay it. Like you said, the energy crash happens. The appetite spins out of control. And then they're making a bad food choice. Where And the mood swings. Oh, the mood. <laughs> <laughs> so you're getting something in within about an hour. It doesn't have to be, it could be a meal, it could be a snack. Again, whole foods are best. And carbs and protein? Carbs and yep. protein. So before the main thing is, is carbohydrate and then after it's carbohydrate and protein. Yeah, and that would be for muscle repair. Yeah, and, yep. the proteins for uh, muscle repair and then also the appetite control element as well. So, um, you know, after like if you train in the morning, it could just be like your eggs on toast with a bit of avocado or a Greek yogurt with some a nice oat-based muesli and some fruit. Um, if you're training in the afternoon, it could be just going home to dinner and having a well-portioned plate with some sweet potato or you know some brown rice and then whatever your your protein of choice is and then lots of colorful stuff for for all the benefits there and if somebody isn't doing that so let's just say they are over exercising and they're exercising excessively and this might be someone for instance that is is doing that to lose weight and they're not replenishing their body after what kind of health um, complications could occur if that was a long-term thing yeah it's amazing what the human body can be put through um mind over matter i see it so often and uh, this is definitely something which happens in uh, general population and elite athletes Mm. and sometimes it's a deliberate i'm trying to lose weight i'm going to deprive myself and sometimes it's just people don't uh, understand how much they're training and what their body needs so uh long term there can be like for uh you know hormonal complications there can be bone um, density issues um, in women and men there's a, a condition out there um, called red s which is like an energy deficiency syndrome and the triad of different uh, complications in that hormonal reproductive bone density space is is growing and um, mm. it can actually be quite a serious yeah yeah absolutely and for somebody that is into running and that's not me. <laughs> no, I'm not. A, I love exercise, but I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm not a runner, I'm and I, a runner. you'll never see me running a marathon. It's just my body just doesn't work that way. Um, I like exercising, but not sort of endurance long runs. But for somebody that does do um, mini marathons and things like that, you hear a lot about people saying, "Oh, carb loading, got a carb load, <laughs> eat the pasta the night before, and the and the pizza." Can you explain what they mean by that? What actually is carb loading and, and what's the benefit of doing that? And are people doing it correctly or are they you know, just eating a bowl of pasta? Is, is that actually carb loading? No, I think, yeah, so many good points there and um, hopefully I, I remember them all and we work through it. But yeah, carbohydrate loading is essentially giving your body more fuel, which you then store. So then in the race, you'll then, or at the event, yep. you'll have that. So, um, we only have a limited amount of glycogen our body yep. stores so this is where this idea comes from and by increasing the amount the day before we then put more in the muscle to then use so the thing is to actually do it properly it's 
well, according, you know, to textbooks and yes. research, it's around the eight to 10 grams per kilogram of body weight. So, party. <laughs> yeah. So, a bowl of pasta the night before is not actually carbohydrate loading. I mean, yeah. if, I definitely talk to a lot of people about a periodized nutrition approach and, you know, high days eat high, low days eat low, which might mean having more carbohydrate the night before a bigger session and less the night of, but to actually carbohydrate load properly. Yeah. It is quite a lot and it's definitely not something you would just go and do if you've not tried it so you definitely want to practice it in in training first and I guess a little bit of a sidebar but this is where the uh, I guess the high fat interest has come in mm. the endurance space because we've got a lot more body fat stored and then triglycerides etc which we can just call on in these extended events so this is where this uh, interest piece is coming from you know high fat versus high carb yeah um, Yes, so definitely benefit to both, both, but for me, I'm definitely more of a flexible approach and I would recommend definitely increasing that carbohydrate before your higher intensity training. And would that be for the whole day before? Uh, if, you were, if you're doing a, a high carb or carbohydrate yeah. load, that would be that amount across the day. Yeah. 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 So, But I wouldn't recommend just doing that off your own accord. You would want some exactly. guidance. It's, um, but you'd be surprised how many people I hear talking about this kind of thing that are going out running and that don't consult with a sports dietitian and you know does that mean that there could something um, detrimental happen or is it more just that they're not going to get the full benefit of what they're trying to achieve oh it def detrimental definitely I mean like there's some uh, there's some horrific stories particularly in, in running and endurance events around like gastrointestinal tract like if you're putting all this extra like runners gut runners gut yeah. yeah so um if you classify maybe potentially having emergency and right yeah during an event uh i would not want to be in that situation myself so yeah i would definitely be and you mean by having all the carbs that maybe you're not used to and then with the stress of the the running as exactly. well we've got runner's gut which probably isn't yeah. the most convenient thing not the most convenient thing at all. i don't know if you've seen those memes but yeah they're right uh... <laughs> well I, I i can imagine them i i don't need to yeah no way um so the carb loading then versus high fat are you seeing more athletes turning towards more of a high fat diet you know like say with keto and things like that and fueling their body that way how effective do you think that really is i'm seeing more interest in that but it's when you talk to people and, want, and you find out what they're actually doing so what keto or high fat actually is versus what people are actually doing and often two yes. very different things and like keto a lot of people say they do keto and they're not really doing keto at all they're doing low carb i guess exactly so i think having the conversation and understand what people are actually doing um i guess in my particular space I work in team sport it's very high intensity focus so um, athletes understand the need for that that carbohydrate and even I've definitely had players come along and oh what about keto should I be trying this or, and they'll often try it for two days and feel horrendous yeah. and, and they're straight back but in the endurance space it's definitely gaining more momentum and there are definitely people out there competing on it um, for me, I love the analogy that the thing with carbohydrate is it gives you your fifth gear. So if you imagine you're a car, so yeah, if you're just plodding along and, and you're just happy to compete and it's really up to you if you want to do that on carbohydrate or fat and what they've actually found, there's no difference between the two. But when we're talking top end performance for elite athletes or even if we're talking just comfort, like I know with me, I definitely feel a lot better when I've had a 
carbohydrate option before and after and um, so yeah there's individual preference but if we're talking absolute best practice I, I like a flexible approach when it comes to endurance based so it's uh, it's a little bit of fat but it's also having that ability to have the carbohydrate and kick into that top end gear when you're going up the hill or if you want to overtake somebody and I guess in a way you need the carbs as well for the mood well, the brain as well, and, and the, the gut fan and yes so we're going to be seeing a lot of consequences by completely cutting those those out. A hundred percent. I think, um, you know, carbohydrate and whole grains and all of that are kind of yep. gaining momentum again. And a lot of that is thanks to the gut health space and, and what we're learning about the microbiome and, and the good bacteria. And what we know is that they feast off mm. whole grains. It's really the fuel for your good bacteria in your gut. So... I think watch this space in the next few years, but I think whole grains are definitely coming back and then and carbohydrates in general won't be as demonized a lot because of that. And I think people are actually going to feel a lot better mentally, I physically. Agree. I agree. Yes. I, I think people, you know, whole grains have been demonized. People are cutting them out, cutting because they're fearing carbs. Also, there's been this whole fear of gluten. Mm. Um, that's a whole other area, but yeah. <laughs> for another I, podcast for another. <laughs> exactly, but I, I definitely yeah. agree with you that I, I do think um, we're going to be seeing a, a whole grain comeback Movement. for sure, absolutely. I know myself, I'm eating, I'm eating more grains and I feel so much better and I've noticed my mood as well. It's much more, um, I feel happy when yeah. I eat carbs and, yes. and whole grains. Most absolutely. people do, yeah. Yeah, less totally. hangry. Well, there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole biochemistry with well, the brain is. with it as well, so for sure. Well, the thing is, you know, your brain and look, keto and ketones and that's a, a whole nother thing, mm. and yes, you can, but your brain uses 20% of your total energy yeah. intake and it exclusively likes glucose. Yeah. So um, yes, you know, again, like it's, there's people out there that might be high fat or supporting on keto and, you know, yes, ketones can kind of override that to an extent, but the majority of people, you're feeling better, you're functioning better, you're moving better, your health is better. Gut's well, I, better. I guess your brain relies on glucose so much that if it's not getting it, it's going to make it, right? Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, mm. we need it. We'll, we'll die without it. So something that I guess where I struggle a little bit with, Jess, is when with sports nutrition, we talk about um, people taking supplements so things like performance enhancers and you put them up and there are all sorts of ingredients mm. in there um dietary supplements you know protein powders with extra supplements in and even things like branch branch chain amino acids you know really big about amongst the the gym goers and for me i guess i get a little concerned when people just sort of go straight to the supplements and what's in them and what additional excipients are in them and, and what that actually is doing to their body. And I think, you know, it was a recent article from, from Sydney Uni saying, you know, put down the protein shake and branch chain amino acids may be doing more harm than good and may potentially even in shorten lifespan. And I know that was a study on rats or mice, I think it was mice. But, you know, what are your thoughts with that? Oh, it's, it's definitely a concern when people go straight to the supplements. And I mean, it's you know humans in general we do if if we can get a shortcut most people want to take that shortcut yeah. and um rather than and you know the way that them it's the marketing like you said it's oh this is going to do this and mega gain and mass gain and whatnot fat blasters fat and, blasters and you know, one thing i learned a long time ago is if it sounds too good to be true 
usually is. It is. And there's nothing I hate more than picking up a supplement and just seeing, you know, rows and rows and rows of ingredients, which I can't even read. If you can't read an ingredient, it's probably not a great thing to be putting in your body. You know, and even sometimes these ingredients have got things like emulsifiers in them and additives, which we now know are detrimental to the gut. Exactly. As well. So it's kind of a, oh. And if you think about what I was you know, saying before around, you know, 20 to 30 grams, four, five, six times a day, and 100 grams of chicken gives you 30 grams. It's not actually hard to meet your requirements from food when we're talking mm. protein. And whether you choose to eat plant protein, animal protein, a combination of both, again, like we were saying before, you eat food, not just nutrients. So just eating these products where we've extracted certain nutrients, we're putting them in our body, not in the context of a whole whole food, piece of fruit, vegetable, piece of meat, and all the other additional benefits of it, it definitely raises concerns. And, and the study you've mentioned, um, yes, it's been done in mice, but it's very relevant. A lot of yeah. what we've learnt over time in nutrition, medicine has come from these kind of studies. And uh, yeah, I think it's great that stuff like this is starting to come out and hopefully makes people more aware that we need to look at whole foods and the majority of people, even there's elite athletes out there that can get what they need simply from whole foods. That's great. Um, That's great to hear. I'm all about the nutrigenomics and getting your nutrients as naturally as possible. Otherwise, just as you said, you're, you're cutting out the bioactives and the phytochemicals. It's not always just about that isolated exactly. single nutrient. And surely if we isolate a single nutrient, we're going to knock out other biochemical pathways. There's, there's got to be a knock-on effect. It's a bit like taking medication. There is always going to be a side effect. There's going to be a benefit, but there's going to be side effects and the, so. the perfect example there is like look at antibiotics it's something that we're now so much more mindful of about the the negative side of it as well as the positive so it's it's really people are becoming more aware it's great and it's definitely you know supplements are the icing on the cake if that you need to be looking at all the other areas of your diet and like you said eating whole foods and just most people can get what they need from that absolutely i'm so glad to hear you say that yeah what about I, you know, there was a bit of a, a, a craze a while back, probably in the, because I, I also work in the aesthetics industry, so it probably attracts people that are, are very concerned about appearance, but with, say, sports models and bikini models that do weights that quite often will go on a keto-style diet um, and really minimise their, their body fat, when you get that low in body fat, you know, how, how detrimental is that going to be to their health? It can be very detrimental. So in that, I mean, there's, there's body image issues, there's mood issues, and a lot of that is kind of, it's actually interesting. I did a little bit of research in bodybuilders when I was at uni and yeah. um, tracking that over time and just seeing the correlations with reductions in body fat and the increases in a lot of the, the psychological components, which got the mood, the, the body dysmorphia, the body image, when we're talking like physiologically issues that, that can happen, to get up on stage and look like that in a competition, you're pushing your body to extremes and it's definitely below safe levels. So again, reproductive um, potential issues, hormonal, depending on how long people stay like that for, again, those bone densities. Mm. So yeah, there can be a lot of issues. and, and the thing is with a lot of these physique sports, they're on the on the rise and there's probably a, like, it can be done safely if you're working with a coach and a dietitian and someone that can monitor this, but there certainly can be a number of ramifications short and long term. And there's something else they do and I don't know if 
you know about this, um, but water loading, yes. do you, do yes. you know, what, what is that? So it has to do, I think, in, in that final week where they play around with the amount of fluid and sodium that they consume to uh, essentially flush the body out and then dehydrate. And it has all to do right. with the to effect of the, the, muscle, the muscles, the flex and the, and the definition. Um, and that in itself, playing around with mm. the amount of sodium and fluid in your body uh, low levels of sodium at extreme cases and they've found this in endurance sports when people haven't replaced during these extensive events and um, had massive fluid losses that you can actually go into comas mm. and essentially die mm. like you're putting all this stress on your kidneys and your brain and yeah it's uh it's high risk kind of behavior if you really don't know what you're doing it does concern me my, my mother-in-law actually she's not a sports model let me tell you she's in her 80s <laughs> but she literally just what you said is is in hospital at the moment through having really low sodium you know she's only got one kidney and she goes on these diets and often will try and do sodium bicarbonate alkaline diets and then will take um electrolytes and you know she she's very frail and as a result she did actually end up oh, scary. Um, affecting her her sodium levels dangerously low so yeah um, yeah, yeah. hyponatremia yeah. yeah it's got a that's the condition and it's pretty scary stuff what can actually happen from if you don't get it right yeah absolutely yeah. so that that is a concern and also i think with social media these days as well how people can be influenced by how they look i mean i'm just so thankful that when i was a teenager we didn't have social media Me because i you know when i was 16 i was actually anorexic and that's a whole other podcast as well yeah. but you know if i had been looking at these photographs every day and it was all about body image and it was how you look then it does concern me how, how this is going to affect the next generations coming Well, I know through. how it makes me feel sometimes as a 32-year-old, yeah. let alone, like you said, like at 16 years of age, impressionable, and let alone having all these perfect images of these perfect bodies, which have probably had who knows what kind of touching yeah. up. And yeah, I'm thankful as well. So Yeah, and mm -hmm. now all the, the body enhancements and, and all mm -hmm. of that. Um, it, it, it is a concern. So it's just, I think, important that people know that there is no such thing as a, the perfect body and that, you know, without clothes on, most of us don't look that great. Exactly. <laughs> the lighting and the touch-ups and the, yeah, exactly. So so with sports nutrition, um, Jess, would, uh, you know, are there some common mistakes that you see people make? Is, is there something that in a way frustrates you or that you see people do a lot and you think that's just not right, that's not true? Yeah. Uh, I think one thing I see a lot of people do, they decide they want to see a dietitian. And I guess the thing with a dietitian, it might not be seen as a necessity, more of a nicety. So, you know, you see a physio when you're in pain, or you see yep. a chiro, whereas a dietitian, it's kind of like, uh, you know, unless you've got some serious gut or intolerances, etc., it might just be, I'm going to feel better. And the thing is, I think when someone can turn up and they're ready to make a change, they want to change the world in a week. And it's like, well, Don't hang they on. How old are you? You've literally got a lifetime of habits. Let's just work on building some change, getting some momentum and creating actual sustainable lifestyle changes. So I think the thing is consistency. And yeah, I definitely, probably where most people go wrong is they wanna change way too much too quickly. They're not sustainable, consistent, not sustainable changes they can make. They can't sustain them consistently and then they've fallen off the wagon and it's not been the most successful. You know. It is interesting you say that because I see that time and time again, 
quite often, you know, people not wanting to necessarily change, they want the results, but they don't really want to put in the, the hard work to make those dietary changes, or they just want to be told what they're doing wrong and, and what's going to fix it with a, a quick fix, maybe a, a pill or whatever, or, you know, we get so impatient, we want to get those those results really, really quickly. Where would be some, some good places that people could start? Is there some basic tips you could give with, with sports nutrition? But I, I guess it just varies for everyone. Oh, look, I think I, I have a few areas which I think apply to most people. It's just the level in which they... So the framework is eat whole foods, yep. focus on your fruits and veggies. So yep. no matter who you are, baby, elderly, elite athlete, everybody needs to be getting all the colorful foods. So looking at the guidelines um, for an adult, it's two pieces of fruit, five serves of veg, and at least starting there. So when you're working with people that are training a lot more, they need even more than yep. that. But what we know is that, you know, it's like 5% of the population eat enough veggies. Yep. So start with that. Protein, so we've spoken about the benefit of that before, looking at ways that you can get a more even distribution across the day and whether it's for a performance or whether it's for appetite control, that's equally beneficial. Um, choosing good quality, low GI, whole grain based carbohydrates. And when you train, putting it you know, mainly around there to get that performance benefit and also that appetite control. Um, drinking enough water across the day. Mm. So it's a bit of a boring cell, isn't it? But you know, 60% of our body is made up of fluid. Um, and hydration so if you're constantly dehydrated every single cell and every single biochemical yep. process and function in your body is not working optimally that's a really good point because some people don't even realize they're dehydrated do yep. they when you can if you're always dehydrated you don't know what being hydrated feels mm. like or looks like so um, yeah, there's kind of four tips, but I think they're relevant for everybody and anybody and, and it's a really good starting point. And just with the water, before we, we finish up, how important then if somebody is, let's just give an example, somebody's gone to the gym, they're sweating, they're kind of, their clothing is wet by the end of, of the workout, so they've, they've you know, really had a, a good sweat, a good workout. Is drinking water enough or do they need you know, some form of electrolyte to, to replenish that, that loss? Look, if it's really just been like you've been at the gym for like an hour or so, water is, is sufficient. Um, there are some really good like electrolyte products out there which are purely electrolyte focused, which people might actually find help them drink more, but an hour or so of exercise, it's, it's fine. Yeah. It's not, I must have that. Yeah. Um, when we're talking a few hours of training a day, that's definitely when we need to be looking at definitely adding in some additional electrolytes. Um, but on the sweating, uh, an, an interesting thing for people to do is to understand how much they're losing in a session. So you could weigh yourself just before and just after and try to standardize what you're, what you're wearing. Obviously, if your shirt's covered in sweat, mm. it's a bit heavier. So maybe take that off if you can. Um, and then you're looking to replace about one and a half times yeah. what you've lost in fluid because we do continue to sweat. So that's a little interesting exercise yes. people might want to try. Great. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Well you're a mine of information um what else are you up to have you got any exciting projects on at the moment uh always have some projects i know you're very very busy <laughs> hard all to the, get hold of all the things well um probably the biggest you know focus area at the moment is uh health and performance collective which yes. is the the business i've started with the lovely chloe mcleod so it's a nutrition consultancy business um it's aimed at helping people live and perform at their best and 
I guess we've got kind of four main areas. We've got our individuals and our sports teams, which is ticking along nicely. And then we've got our corporates and our and wellbeing programs and, our, and the food brands. So they're the kind of areas we're sinking a little bit more time and energy into. And we're, um, we've got a few exciting wellbeing projects on the horizon. So yeah, that's definitely something we're loving and, and trying to grow more of. And Fantastic. And are you taking on individual yes. clients? You are. Yeah. So um, I take on a few. I mean, schedule is a bit hectic. So if I can't take anybody on, um, I do refer them to someone in my team who would be best suited to them. But yes, I do see some individual Fantastic. clients. And if people want to contact you, find out more about you, how can we find you? Uh, so Instagram is a great spot yes, to find people these Instagram. days. We love a bit of Instagram. So uh, health underscore performance underscore collective is the business one. And then my personal one is Jess underscore spendlove underscore dietitian. Uh, send me an email. So Jess at healthandperformancecollective.com. Uh, and yeah, website? Website, uh, yeah, healthandperformancecollective.com or jessicaspendlove.com and shoot us through a little contact or comment through there and yeah all Fantastic. the options well i hope everyone does follow you on instagram because you you do give some valuable information and i love your little instagram live that you do every week usually on a friday <laughs> friday, friday afternoon yep, friday. giving really some some great information and i think i was writing i love these keep, <laughs> keep doing them um because i think people take so much out of that and you know i guess we've all got short you know brain you know concentration <laughs> so you know they're short and they're sharp and, and there's always some really great information that that you share with people so i can't thank you enough for um coming to talk with me today it's been a really really interesting conversation so thank you very much thank you so much for having me and uh well done on all the uh nailing the technology here i, I still struggle <laughs> but but we do get there we get there we have technical Growth support mindset. upstairs <laughs> thanks for having me fiona